Amen. You may be seated. Well, we trust that you've had a wonderful, awesome, fantastic, spectacular Thanksgiving week. Did you? Yeah, 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 I would think so. Did you eat enough? Did you get enough to eat? Yeah, I'm sure you did. We don't go without on Thanksgiving Day, do we? No. The fact is, you're, some of you are still sleepy from the turkey enzyme. I know how that works. You're, you're like, okay, you better get with it because I'm about ready to, to go out. But it was a wonderful week. Uh, we had weather. What a deal. Uh, I've been so thankful. Uh, sometimes I come up here and I assess where we're at, and I think, all right, how are we going to get that done? <laughs> and, and so we weren't up here uh, late Wednesday. We weren't up here Thursday. And then Friday I drove by, and uh, it was kind of, well, half the city was here because, you know, the end of Tucker is where you can take your toboggans and, your, you know, you can slide down the mountain. And so it was crazy up here. I turned around and got out of here. It was like I'm not going to try and mess with that. But we came up Saturday to decorate, and the, the, the parking lot was just thick, ice, snow, the whole thing. And I thought, oh, dear Lord. I started to assess, think, oh, oh, I don't have much hope right here, Lord. I thought, I don't know how this is going to get done. And and, uh, we were having a a thing where the staff would come up and decorate. But I put out a thing on Facebook and said, hey, we're having a party. Everybody likes a good party, right? Bring a shovel. Bring a shovel to this party. And uh, we had a whole mess of people show up. And uh, one of my good pastor friends here in... uh, to Hatchapi, I texted him and said, do you know anybody that does snow removal once every four years or so? You know, because that'd be a good business to be in, wouldn't it? Be to be a snow plow guy, but you're only needed once ever, just ever so often. And so he said, hey, actually, I have somebody. Here's the name. And uh, that that brother came up, to, and I texted him, and I said, hey, um, we, we need you. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, you know what? As soon as I'm done at Mountain Bible, I'll come do yours. I said, I love you, man. And uh, so he came up with his plow and everything, and he, he, he spent hours up here. And I kept taking him hot coffee out. But uh, what a great man. He didn't want any money either. He just wanted us to donate to Crisis Pregnancy Center. What a great guy, huh? Isn't that great? Isn't that great? It's wonderful. So... Uh, I got him and his wife a, a dinner card, and we're going we're gonna to go ahead and donate. We already do, and we're going to do some more. So what a blessing he was to come up and snow plow. But I didn't have much hope looking out there. I was looking at the snow and the frozen and everything else, and I thought, oh, dear Lord, what, what shall I do? What, what will we do with that? But I think everybody that came out, I mean, they came out in force. We just posted on Facebook, and a whole bunch of folks came out and broke up. All the teens were out on that deck just breaking up the ice and getting it cleared off. So... All the, uh, it would be safe for us. And then it snowed and frost and frozen last night. So, uh, but it's good for second service because it's all kind of coming off. But it's a wonderful week. Hadn't it been a great week? Uh, Yeah, amen. In the day that we live, the season of Advent, it lasts like four Sundays. This is the first Sunday of Advent. And at that time, the new Christian year begins with 12-day celebration of Christmas tide. A little background on the Advent season. It lasts from Christmas Eve to, to, uh, to until Epiphany on January 6th. So this is the first day, and Advent will last through January 6th. It begins on this Sunday, today, and it falls between November 27th and December 3rd. That's how it kind of works. This year, our Advent begins this day, and it will be done on Tuesday, December 24th. 
And, and it symbolizes the present situation that, that the church finds itself in in these days, the last days. Acts 2.17 bears witness with that. And Hebrews 1.2, as God's people, we wait for the return of Christ in glory to consummate his eternal kingdom. Sounds like a lot of things, but we're looking. You know, we, we, we tend to celebrate the birth of Christ, right? I mean, that's what Christmas is all about. We look back to Jesus' first coming. But in Advent, we also look forward to his second coming. It's a time when we need to kind of assess where he's come from, where, where he's brought us, and, and we live in the middle of it, and where he's taking us, and what will happen in the future of what we do not know yet. But we, we know that it will happen, but we don't know when. So we look and we wait and we anticipate, we keep watch. That's what we do this first Sunday Advent. Advent. We, we, we keep watch. And, and there's things that get in the way. We have challenges that, that affect us to keeping watch. It, it's, it's that we're on this lookout for so many things. That's one of the main challenges. There's so many things that we're on the lookout for. Watching out for so many things really does keep us really busy. We watch for the, the best deals. Did some of you do that this week? You know, get the paper, and, and it tells you what the deals are going to be. It tells you really what they want you to buy, all the different things. I, I was really happy to, to make my way, I think, I guess it was Thursday, uh, up to Walmart. I thought, I want to just see. I just want to see what... Uh, you know, getting ready for Black Friday, what it'll look like in Tehachapi. And I didn't have a lot of expectation because we've all seen it on TV, what that turns into. And it's like, oh, I don't want to be any part of that. And we don't, as a family, generally go hang out in front of a store. Uh, in Topeka, they would start Wednesday about 5 p.m. And they would set up tents outside stores. And I always thought, I ain't doing that. Uh, I'll pay the extra. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't wanna... but, but some people like to do it. It's exciting, festive. They... they, they they bring little burners, Bunsen burners, and make their coffee and sit out in front of a store for, for all night long. That, that's not my thing, but I wanted to see. You know, we give Walmart kind of a hard time, don't we, a little bit? You know, they're here in town now. We think, but, but I went up there, and, and I was very pleasantly surprised. I figured I ought to give them props. If I, if I bag on them occasionally, I ought to give them props also. They, they, they had it really organized well just to walk in and go hang out where the thing that you might want, just stand there. I got back to the, the TVs. You know, as guys, we got to look at the TVs, right? And uh, they should put uh, recliners back there by the TVs, you know, because that's what we like to look at. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I got back there, and the guy looked at me, and I said, so how does this work? He goes, just stand right there. And I said, okay. And he says, and, and we can't sell it to you till 6 o'clock, and it was only 10 after 5. I said, well, okay. I said, this is it? And he goes, yeah, yeah. He says, so we're just going to let everybody in and stand where you stand, and at the right time, they'll, they'll cut the plastic off of everything, and you can just take, get what you want, get in line, and you're good. I've never seen it work so smooth in my life. I, so I just got to give them that props, and I've got a new big TV in my house. <laughs> I, I mean, it was right there, and, and it's actually uh, less than I paid for my first 19-inch TV. So that works out pretty cool, too. But, uh, but, but, but we keep watch for so many things, don't we? We're, we're, we're checking out the, the, the Black Friday deals. Maybe you like to do that. Maybe you don't. Maybe you like to look at other things. But there's so much that, that keeps us busy. We watch for those deals. We cut coupons. We're watching for what's on sale, keeping our eyes out for the deals. And, 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 and then there's the Black Friday thing and attempting to get just the right gift. You know, we watch out for our kids. We watch out for our works 
schedules, our grades at school. If we're in school, we're watching out for those. We're, we're, we're watching out on social media. So most people don't like to admit that anymore. I don't look at Facebook anymore. I've got friends back in speaking. They say, I'm going on a Facebook fast, and I'll watch them, and they'll be on a Facebook fast for about six days, and then they'll say something. I'll go, eh, eh, you're not on a fast anymore. Because you, you just posted, you know, because we, we're so consumed with so many things. Nothing against Facebook. Some of you hate Facebook. I just like to see what my family's doing all over the country and uh, just see what's going on and, and uh, maybe find out if, you know, Goose is at Costco. I can ask him to pick me something up. But you, you just you see these sort of things. I really enjoy finding out what you're having for dinner. I, I know sometimes you click, this is my dinner for the day. And uh, I think of all the pictures that we had growing up. You know, it was usually family pictures, right? You know, what are our kids going to look at when we're, when we're gone? You know, they're going to be like, well, this is what Dad had for dinner back in 2019. That will be an interesting kind of, kind of thing for our kids to look at. But we, we're just challenged by so many things, watching out, checking it out. It consumes us. But God's Word tells us that there's something that we should be on the lookout for. It's actually eternally more important than any other thing that we keep watch for. Romans 13, 11 through 14 says, besides this, you know what time it is. It says, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake up from your sleep. Now, we might go, well, I wasn't sleeping. Um, but, but it's speaking of a different type of sleep here. It's, a, it's an unfocused, it's, it's not paying attention. And it's saying that you're going to wake up from the sleep. You're, it says that your salvation is nearer to us now. For, for salvation is nearer to us now than we than when we became believers. That when we first became believers, the time is nearer now more so than ever before. That would make sense, would it not? The, the, the further along we go, the more that time is, is nearer now than when we first became believers. This is what he's telling them, that the night is far gone. That, that, that night, it's gone. It, it, it will no longer be. And, and what is to come, it usually landed you know, right I don't know, it, it, knowing what we're in between, knowing that that night is over and that the day is near, that's where we land. He says, then let, let us lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. It, it, do away with the things that really don't matter, that, that take our focus away and, and help us to, to not pay attention. Lay those sides, those works of darkness away and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. He says instead this, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Jesus. That's what we should put on. And make no provision, he says, for the flesh to gratify its desires. You see, it's of utmost importance as we enter this time of the Christian calendar that we take stock of how the world with all of its allures has been drawing us in, often causing us to be at times to be of the world and not just in the world. You know, we're to be in the world but not of the world. And there are times when it takes our focus away and we're engaging so as to be that, that, that we are of the world and not just in the world. It has lured us into trusting ourselves, into our own abilities, fulfilling our own desires and seeking for the, what gratifies our flesh. It's at this time that we are reminded in Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, we're reminded and instructed to keep watch, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. To, to take him on. There were two senior citizens that were out on their usual morning walk, and they both had been complaining about the aches and the pains of getting older. And, and as they passed by the local funeral home, one of them turned to the other and said, look, there's no hope of recovery. We're just getting older. Let's just go in and give ourselves up. 
just go on in and, and do the deed. We're not getting any younger. You know, there's another story about a for sale ad in the Roanoke, Illinois Review, which read like this. It said, do we still know what a hope chest is? My wife still has hers. I said earlier, she's still hoping, I suppose. But no, she has her hope chest. But it said this, hope chest, brand new, half price, long story. Can you, you'd love to know what that story is, wouldn't you? Half price, long story. This morning we begin our first Sunday of Advent season for all that we see taking place in our world. And there's a lot, even with this morning's news of the shooting down in Louisiana. I mean, it just seems like every, every week or so there's some, something else that just climbs its way to the top of our attention nationally. And it consumes our time and our thoughts. And uh, here's, here's the point. We could all use some hope, could we not? Advent is a season of hope. It reminds us not only that the birth of Christ and the hope that we find in that event, but it also reminds us that we live somewhere in between those times, somewhere in between the birth of Christ and and the return of Christ, somewhere between the, the beginning and the end, between the first coming and the second coming. That's what our passage today deals with. Let's share from the Word of God this morning out of Matthew 24, 36 through 44, and let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Matthew 24, 36 through 44, you can read along, and it simply says this, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, he says, be on alert. Keep watch, as it were, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, it says, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we're thankful for your word. I pray, Lord, that you just uh, set us slightly off center. Would you take us from the, some of the things, Lord, that we generally get distracted with, and would you pull us back towards what really matters? Lord, what really matters for our eternal future, not that anything's bad that we're thinking about or that we're focusing on, but we're so busy, we're so tied up in our thinking that sometimes we don't, we don't uh, think about the day that is coming, Lord, that you've told us to stay alert, to be on alert for. So we're grateful and thankful for your word. May it do what you've intended for it to do this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, when I was a little kid, I remember that we would go out as a family to choose our Christmas tree. Ours were all grown along the railroad tracks down in Westminster underneath the power lines, uh, right by the railroad tracks. They would grow them all there all year long, and and there were some that were way down there that were little teeny, and as you got further down by Haskell uh, Street, there were bigger ones, and we'd go in, and they'd actually cut the tree down for you, and I remember we'd, we'd be wanting 
that perfect tree. We wanted to get it and choose it with the idea where we would position it in our house. I, I, I suppose that some of you have a perfect place for your tree. If some of you even have to maybe move furniture. you got to move that furniture. I know at our house you move that chair over there, that lamp goes over there, and now the tree goes there, and there's always a little one weird spot in the house where that doesn't really go there, but it's there for now because the tree. And some of y'all have a beautiful place. I've been at Danny Houck's place, and right, they got this big front window that's just beautiful. It's tall and their tree, you can see it from the street. I love that. Uh, I don't have a front window quite like that, but if my neighbors would look over my fence, they'd see a, a nice view of our tree. But it, we would usually, it would, uh, when I was little, it would land right in the middle of our sliding glass windows uh, in the backyard. And, and, and then the presents would start to show up. All the presents, my mom would allow us to occasionally rearrange those presents. Did you get to do that when you were little? Get to touch them all, and you know, they're all just under there, and they got to be put in the right order. You know, the really tall ones need to be in back and, and then as they make their way down to the little dinky ones out in front and as we we grab those we'd, we'd pick them up and we'd kind of shake them and we'd wonder what's in there I know what I want I have great anticipation for what I want but what's in there I don't know and we couldn't figure it out but we wanted to so we touch everything and place it right where it needs to be it was great anticipation for what was to come it's Christmas have you lost that as an adult whatever whatever yeah, I don't know what it is. My kids have a tough time because I can guess everything. It drives them nuts. I don't even want to guess anymore because I always kind of get it. And they're like, ah. Oh. So I, I, they'll show me this little thing. I said, is it a car? You know, and they said, so just, just to mess with them. But, but we would always try and figure out what's in the gifts and shake them and tall ones in the back, small ones in front. There was just so much anticipation, so much expectation. We had been asked what we wanted for Christmas and now lies right in front of us under the tree, the potential of that hope, that hope that I will get that, that car, that little car. Uh, mine was blue, and it was a Pinto. Why did I want to? I don't know why I want a Pinto, except that you'd push a button in the back of it, and it would go, Meh, and it turn into a dragster. Uh, I wanted that car so bad. It, I didn't want a Pinto. I liked the dragster, and you'd wind that thing up, and you'd push the back, and it would grow, and it would take off and run into mom's wall, you know. And, but I couldn't wait to have that car. There's such anticipation. And then, then the time would come, uh, the night before Christmas, oh, how we hated the wait. Did you hate the wait? You can't, you know, we're getting pretty old if we can't remember how excited we were for Christmas. Maybe we don't all have the same uh, experience, but that night before, I can't go to sleep. I, I don't want to fall asleep. What if I miss it? What, what if I sleep in? I can't possibly go to sleep and only to find out I went to sleep. I fell asleep, and, and you wake up, and it's Christmas morning. All the anticipation. You know, perhaps you grew up in a different fashion, or perhaps that's not your story, but you have anticipated various upcoming events, maybe a wedding or a birthday. Maybe you're really looking forward to your retirement. Maybe that's what really gets you going. Not a present on the tree, but my retirement's coming up, and, and maybe you like that. Or maybe you're really looking forward to a, a birth of a new baby or, or a salary increase that might come with, with such a, a great economy that certainly Certainly the salaries will increase, right? <laughs> Whatever the case may be, each of us has waited with great anticipation for something. Maybe it was a, a fishing trip. Maybe it was a hunting trip. Something that you really loved to do and you couldn't wait for it. We watched. We had great hope for what we had been waiting for. You know, our text this morning mirrors 
this kind of waiting and watching, looking forward to something great that will take place, never losing the focus, keeping the watch for something that we're waiting for with tremendous anticipation. One Sunday after church, a mother was walking her young daughter, and she told her daughter, you know, according to the Bible, Jesus will return someday. When is he coming back, the daughter asked. And the mother answered, I don't, I don't know. And her daughter said, well, can you look it up on the Internet? Can, can you Google that for me to know when Christ will return? Can't you just look it up? Wouldn't it be nice to just kind of know, to look it up on the Internet? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it, if we knew when, it would solve all kinds of problems and we'd be ready We'd be ready if we just knew when Jesus was coming. We'd have everything cleaned up and ready. We'd even fix that back room that we store stuff in. We'd probably go back there and clean it out and get it ready. We, 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 we would change. I wonder how we would change if we knew the day and the hour. But we don't know when. So really all we can do is live ready. All we can really do is live ready to, to have our lives lived in such a way that we're ready for the day when the Son of Man comes. And that's the hard part. It's hard because it feels kind of like a half a glass of water. Then some of us are half empty and some of us are half full. Half empty people sometimes seem the doom and the gloom. You'd say it's a beautiful day outside. They say, oh, it's a little cold. Yeah, but the sun's coming out. Yeah, but it's freezing out there. Yeah, but it snowed. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some that are just wired that way. And some that are like, it, it could be, the mountain could be on fire, and they'd be like, it's a little warmer today. How wonderful it is. It's warmer. That's just the way we're wired. Some are half full and some are half empty. But, but really where we ought to be with regard to what God is saying to us this morning with the first Sunday of Advent, we ought to be tucked right in the middle somewhere. Some of us have even been growing up during a time when the thought of Christ's return brought more fear to us than an anticipation of joy. I kind of grew up that way. It's like every night before bed, you know, <laughs> I'm just checking to see, you know, if I'm still bound for heaven. It was not a great way to, to, to fear the return of Christ. I didn't want to go to sleep without making sure everything's right with the Lord. Which, there's nothing wrong with that, but... I used to even say I got one foot on a banana pill and one foot in hell. What a horrible way to live, right? It's a terrible way to live. Not when God brings us such, such anticipation and joy of the idea of his return. Some of us maybe don't, maybe we have a fear about that kind of a scripture. And that may be because some of the verses that we read don't seem to be something that we would really be excited for. I mean, the scripture, the scripture is also telling us that we should be on the watch, be on the lookout and, and, and to not lose focus. We don't want to lose focus. But we shouldn't miss the fact that this is not a picture of fear. It's not a scripture of fear. It's actually a picture or a scripture that is sharing with us tremendous hope. There's hope. You know, I don't know about you, but there just seems like no good news these days. You know, you got to watch something else. But, but, but there's actually hope for the future that we, that we live in the now, in the present, not way this way or that way, but right in the center of what God is doing in our lives this day. The, the, we, we can actually see it as a scripture that's sharing us great hope that God is a promise keeper. Do you get that? God keeps his promises, and, and he's on his way back, by the way. 
He, he's coming. He's going to return. Sometimes, some of us, we, I grew up hearing that really strongly every week. And, and there's days where you think, well, is it going to be in my lifetime? And really the actual truth is it doesn't really matter. He is coming. God's word is truth. He's on his way back. And if we will keep watch and stay ready, we will experience this hope as it is being fulfilled. This is truth. And in the truth, in this truth lies hope. That's where we can find hope because the underlying message of this passage is one of hope. If you boil it down, it basically says three things. One, Jesus is coming back. We see that in God's word. He will return. Number two, God's in charge of the timetable. Aren't you glad he didn't put it in my hands? Because I've had a few things in life I would have went, oh, right now would be a good time. So I'm glad that it's on his time schedule, not on mine. And number three, we should get ready. We should get ready. That's a message that we need to hear because there are so many messages being thrown at us in the day that we live. There are so many voices that call out for our attention. So many conflicting messages and, and, and conf that confuse and interfere with our sense of well-being, our understanding of our faith. It gets in the way. We can get confused and distracted. We can forget who we are and what, what, what we, uh, where we gain our strength. Where does our strength come from? We can forget all that. And, and, and when that happens, it builds up pessimism, pessimism within us. And despair, it can turn to despair when we see everything as eh and don't find the hope in it. So today, this first Sunday of Advent 2019, what, what can we... Um, you know, we'll look at a couple ways that we can keep watch. Number one, we can focus on our calling as followers of Jesus Christ. That's in your notes if you have the bulletin there. Focus on our calling as followers of Jesus. Remember George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life? It was funny. I had this all kind of written out. And last night I went, burp, 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 and there it was. It's a wonderful life. There it is. It actually landed right on a part that I'm going to speak in a moment about. You know, it's a wonderful life. It's kind of a parable about faithfulness. It's a parable about family and responsibility, but mostly it's a parable about hope and God's intervention into our lives. You know the story. George is one of those great guys that everybody likes. Who wouldn't want to be that? You know, everybody likes, everybody likes you, brother. You know, and, and to be that kind of, everybody loves him. He's selfless and he's easygoing. He gives himself over and over and over again. But a crisis comes in his life. The banker, the bank examiner is coming and he suddenly finds out that there's a shortfall because of Uncle Billy's blunder. And, and, and old man Potter's greed and jealousy, that, that's going to play a part in there. But George is the one who will take the fall. He's going to take the fall for it. On top of that, his daughter Zulu, she just came home from school. She's got the sniffles. So George takes it out on the teacher when he gets a phone call. Uh, the teacher wants to find out how she's doing. And, boy, he gives it to her. That's what part I landed on last night. I said, yeah, he really did give it to her. He leaves her in tears with her husband swearing and knock his block off. And George craters. He goes for a drink. And sitting there, he offers up a prayer of despair. He admits he's not praying a praying man, but he asks God to intervene and show him what to do in this scenario. In his despair, two of his friends, they try talking him into going home. You should just go home. And they call him out by name, and it turns out that the guy sitting next to him is the teacher's husband who hits George right in the mouth, right in the lip, because he was berating his wife earlier on the phone. George picks himself up off the floor. He touches his bloody lips and he says, that's what I get for praying. That's what I get. 
He checks to see if his life insurance policy is still in his pocket, and he heads out to do the unthinkable. In despair, George decides the only way out is to take his own life. We've all seen him there on the bridge. Well, you know the rest of the story. If not, it's probably on Netflix later on today. You can check it out. George's guardian angel intervenes, and through showing George what life in the town would have been like without him, he gives him a renewed sense of hope. And with that hope comes a new lease on life for him. You know, one of the reasons why the movie is such a classic for us is because we've all been there. We've all been at that place. We can empathize with George Bailey at times, not knowing uh, what our purpose is in life, in living this life for God. Oh, we, we have not have stood out on the edge of a bridge ready to jump like George, but we've all stood on the edge of despair, frustration, or just a sense of lostness, like what is it all about, trying to know what it is that we should be living our lives for. We, we, kinda, we know what it is, but through getting tied up in all the extracurricular things of life, we're losing that sense of knowing which way God has for us. We felt the total uncertainty of life at times, not feeling or sensing that we play much of a role in God's work. I give my whole life to it, and there have been days I don't feel like I'm making a dent. I think there's got to be, Lord, there's more. There's certainly more. We've all felt the end of our, at the end of our rope. We've all at times have lost hope. It's kind of when we need a hope rope. A hope rope. How do we find our hope rope and keep that hope alive in the midst of not only the uncertainty of when Christ will return, but in the uncertainties of life itself? You see, our text this morning, it, it reveals a distractedness that can consume all of us, every one of us. Instead of remaining focused on Christ and sharing Christ and living the life that Christ has called us to, many other things rush in and they distract us. Matthew's gospel has an overarching theme of sharing the good news, the gospel, with others. The theme is revealed in the Great Commission that we'll find at the end of the book, Matthew 28, 19, when Jesus tells his disciples, he says to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We can also see this theme in the preceding chapters, illustrated in the parable of the sheep and the goats in 25, 31 through 46, where we learn that the call of those following Christ is to live a life lived in love and compassion for those that are around us. You see, this is our calling, to make disciples, to, to live a life of love and compassion for those that are all around us. This is why we give turkey baskets out. This is why we, we take little slips of paper off the angel tree and we get gifts for children that will go without if we don't. This is why we share with others the good news of Jesus. This is why, what we are called to in the day that we live. I don't know if you've ever taken one of the baskets out there was a bunch of us here just before Thanksgiving that took 20 or so baskets out. And there were people that really evidently really needed it. There's always people that appreciate it. Uh, I think we had somebody that just broke down in tears. That they didn't know what they were going to be doing, and, and it came right at the right time. The hope that, that we can bring to others when we fulfill God's calling to go and make disciples 
Are you looking for hope this morning? Are you standing on your own bridge like George Bailey, wondering if you can possibly make a difference in this world? Find hope this day as we enter into this Advent season. Keep watch by focusing on your call as a follower of Jesus Christ. Each one of us have a call to join the mission of God in the world that we live. The second thing we can do to keep watch is don't lose focus. Number two, don't lose focus. The content for our passage this morning shows that if we get ourselves spread too thin, we can lose sight of what's important. We can become distracted in the way that we live. Not necessarily walking in darkness, but just being so engrossed in the normal things of our daily lives, even potentially the good things, that we can lose focus. We can lose sight of what is the most important thing for us as followers. We can see these distractions there in verse 37 through 39. 37 through 39, it's referencing back to Noah in his time. It says, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And it says, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So it says, will the coming of the Son of Man be? It's going to come like that for many You see, the issue wasn't that the people were doing their everyday normal things, eating and drinking and marrying. We're all going to be a part, take part. We had a wedding back in June. It was a great wedding. We're going to be doing those things with our families, with our loved ones. Just like us, they had lives to live back in Noah's day. They had lives to live, things to do, work to be done, and families to care for. But when these cares, when these concerns for the day obscure our vision, when they muddle our thoughts and keep us on the treadmill of life, we become distracted from what is of utmost importance, the one thing that matters more than anything else. When we lose focus, we do not see as God is calling us to see. When we lose that focus, that is to stay focused, to be on alert, that's what he's calling us to. The people in those days were just distracted. They were a distracted people. They were not paying attention to the signs that were all around them. They had lost their ability to see the coming destruction, and ultimately they missed out on the opportunity for the hope of their salvation. They were caught off guard because they forgot about God. You would think with that giant monstrosity that was being built that might have called their attention back to what was important. Busyness in life can be a challenge for us. Is it not a challenge for us? Busyness in life? We have an uncanny knack for filling every moment of every week of every month with the things of life, and we sometimes miss out on our call to share with others. Got to get there at what time? What time are we there? Hey, we got to leave. Do we have next Tuesday open? Make that appointment. We get ourselves to the point where there's absolutely no time left for focusing, for keeping watch. Keeping up the appearances can also distract us. Got to paint the house. Got to fix the car. Got to get a new fridge. It's time to trade in the old for the new, and especially at this Christmas time that we're in. The new stuff, while not overtly bad in and of itself, but it can consume us. No matter what price I got that big TV for, it could get in the way. It could be on too much. It could be on during the times where I need to spend my time focusing on what's truly important. 
what do I get Aunt Judy or Grandpa Harry? I, I, I want to get them something nice, but, but what? And how do I get everyone something nice on my budget? You know, the shiny new stuff, it's alluring. And we can mistakenly look for fulfill, fulfillment in the giving and the receiving. But, but both, both of those, the giving and the receiving, can, can be a distraction from the most important. And especially at this time of the year. Even our families can become a distraction. Can you imagine that? Our families? What could possibly be wrong with focusing solely on our families? You see, just like in Noah's time, they were doing the things that we all do with our families. There was nothing wrong with them getting married or drinking or eating together. Nothing wrong when we spend time with our families. But there are times when even in our families, they become the sole focus of the season over Jesus. There are so many things that can distract us from keeping watch for Christ in our lives and in the world that we live. So keep watch and find hope this Advent season. We can, number one, focus on our calling as followers of Christ and, and not lose focus. Don't lose focus. And number three, we can reclaim our focus. Keep watch. We can reclaim our focus to keep watch. At the very center of the Advent season is for each of us to reclaim that focus, to, to, to kind of pull back just a bit and to assess where we are. I was assessing yesterday where we are, and I thought, I have no hope. But there is hope. When we assess, we can reclaim our focus. We, we can be on watch. We can keep alert. Matthew 24, 42 says it this way, Therefore, be on the alert. It's kind of a warning. It's kind of an encouraging warning. Be on alert. Stay focused. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. And then down in verse 44 it says, For this reason you, must, you also must be ready. We should be ready. There's something coming that we should be ready for. We don't have to fear it. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. A U.S. Army officer told of the contrast in his young cadets during two different eras of teaching at the artillery training school at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, home of the field artillery. He said that in 1958 through 60, the attitude was so lax that the instructors, the instructors had a problem getting the men to stay awake to hear the lectures that they were giving. During the 1965 through 1967 classes, however, the men hearing the same basic lectures were alert and they took extensive notes. What made the difference in the class of 65, we would ask? You see, the class of 65 knew that in less than six weeks they would be facing an enemy in Vietnam. They knew the time, they knew the hour. It was coming. They were much more responsive. The question is this if we knew the moment of Christ's return, would we live any different? Would we concentrate and focus on anything any different than we do today? I think I probably would. I should be encouraged to pay attention that way now, but I, I think I probably would. If we said Jesus will be here Tuesday, Tuesday at 1, I'm thinking life has just changed. Who I'm going to talk to has just changed. How I'm going to share has just changed. We should live like that every day, every week, every month. 
You see, in our text this morning, we are reminded to give continual consideration and to be mindful of the distractions that invade our thoughts and keep us from being focused or keeping watch. That we are able, that, or, or that we are to remember the birth of Christ, for sure. At each of our services in the coming weeks, we're going to look back at the birth of our Lord, and, and we're going to remember, but... Not only are we to look back and remember, we are to keep watch, to, to look forward to, uh, as our Savior, for our Savior's return. What are the signs of the times? What do the seasons look like? We might find some of those in God's Word, and we can be looking towards those, and we can be uh, on focus doing the things that He's called us to do. Just like many of us did back when we were children, we looked forward to what we might find in those packages under the tree the joy of sharing together, or any other events that we might have experienced that brought great anticipation to our lives. Maybe this year we could look at those things under the tree and see them as not just inanimate things, not just the newest electronic thing, but maybe we could think about the relationship that lies between the to and the from. Do you still fill out the little cards? to Johnny from dad and that relationship that exists between those two points not not just the item itself but what that relationship means you see Advent season is a season of hope Advent hope is something kind of like baking Christmas sugar cookies and the person decides to add a bit of food coloring to them to put it in the dough, to pour a few drops of red or green food coloring into the dough, knead it in, just like Chris was massaging his turkey this past week. I don't know if you're on Facebook, but, man, he knew how to massage that turkey with butter. He, he had it going, man. Just a few drops, pretty soon the whole dough has changed color. It's the same with hope. It doesn't take much, just a touch. It can be that moment in prayer, a song or a hymn in worship, a verse in the passage of Scripture. It, it, can, it can come as an act as simple as baptism of a baby or someone proposing marriage. It can come as you pass the plate or a, a basket filled with Thanksgiving food to a family that you've never met before. It can be seen and heard and felt in a hundred different ways during all the seasons of the church and the Christian year, but especially present during Advent and Christmas. You see, there's a universal need for hope in our world. Even amongst the half-empty folks, wah, wah, wah. You know, there's still truth. There's a need for hope, and that hope is contagious. Sometimes all it takes is just a few drops, and the color, it'll color the rest of our whole life. There's a universal need for hope. Hope in the midst of the ordinary, everyday lives that we live. Hope that can spring up in the midst of turmoil and even uncertainty. Hope that can lead us out of the fog of our selfishness and lead us into the state of readiness for anything the world of, uh, or life throws our way. Hope in God, church. Hope in God. William Barclay, in his common commenting on Romans, he wrote this. He said, the Christian hope is the hope which has been everything and endured everything. It has seen everything and it has endured everything and still, it has still not despaired. Did you get that? The Christian hope is the hope which has seen everything and endured everything and still has not despaired because it believes in God. 
The Christian hope is not hope in a human spirit, in human goodness, in human endurance, in human achievement. The Christian hope is in the hope is hope in the power of God. Advent is a season of preparation, of waiting and hoping and keeping watch. It reminds us that we're not alone. The hope became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. Hope knows the uncertainties of life as well as the dark side of life, and it overcame them both. Hope lives or wants to live within each of us so we can focus those uncertainties with faith. Advent is the season when those two senior citizens, we are all asked, as those two senior citizens, we're all asked to just go on in, give yourselves up to Christ and the hope that he offers. The question today is, what if we found a way to reduce those distractions, to simplify things, and to focus on remembering the coming of Christ and anticipating his return? How might we be transformed by that? And how might the world around us be transformed by our faithful witness of watching and waiting with hope? Stand with me, will you?